Welcome to the Government Huddle with Brian Chittister, a new podcast from Government Marketing University. My entire career has been dedicated to marketing in the government space. And in the beginning, I never cared about the why. I was completely focused on the how. It was all about the tactics, the analytics, the ROI, rinse and repeat. Then I decided I wanted to understand these programs and technologies the same way our customers do. It opened up a whole new world for me. And that is what this show is about, aligning the why with the how, taking a deep dive on current trends, making bold, educated predictions about the market, learning from expert guests, and discovering innovative concepts on how to respond to all of this. So join us as we talk about all things government marketers need to know about today, tomorrow, and beyond. Come on, let's huddle up. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Government Huddle Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Chittister. I hope everyone listening is safe and healthy in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic. It is obviously impossible to ignore right now, and it's affecting all of our lives. And I'm sure we've all read articles and watched shows related to what's currently happening. So today, I thought we would look at how COVID-19 is affecting public sector from a citizen experience perspective and how things will look post-pandemic. So to do that, I've asked Rick Parrish, a principal analyst from Forrester, to join us. Rick has been with Forrester for nearly seven years and is the vice president serving the customer and citizen experience market. I'm really excited to hear what he has to say because he has some great perspectives due to the nature of his role. He works with public and private sector organizations around the world, which is why I thought he would be the best person to come on and talk to us right now as we look at CX and how it's going to look post-COVID. Rick, how are you doing today? Doing great. Good to be here. So before we get started, I also saw uh, that before you joined Forrester, you worked as an analyst for the CIA, which, Rick, it begs the question, do you have a cool story or some type of anecdote you could share with us? <laughs> uh, sure, actually. Uh, there's an interesting CX angle uh, on my work there. Um, it, a lot of the talk around CIA and the intelligence community is how you know, they put the customer, if you will, but usually a senior policymaker, you know, at, at the center of everything they do. And uh, there, as in most places, both public and private sector, this idea of putting the customer at the center of everything they do is 90% talk. Uh, we see this everywhere. In fact, there, there was one time uh, when a more senior analyst than I were briefing an ambassador and I happen to know that that ambassador and I had a common uh, recreational interest. And I said a word about it, and he said a word back, and then we got started. And after the briefing, I was chided by the more senior analyst uh, for that, what he considered an improper sort of personal connection uh, that I made there. And I responded that uh, the basis of any relationship is emotion. And uh, a positive emotion will help that ambassador trust us help him listen to us and help him remember our message. And the senior analyst said, well, you know, the, uh, our message should stand on its own. Uh, to which I replied, well, that may be true, but it won't. Uh, and so a couple words of humanity in there will create a positive emotional experience and that will improve the overall customer experience. And isn't that we're all, what we're all about? And I think that's a, um, a pretty indicative of the way 
most organizations approach this topic of customer experience, uh, which is uh, they have a lot more to say about it than they have to do about it. Oh, that's a great place to start because uh, I think there's obviously a lot of emotion going on right now in light of uh, the new COVID world we have going on. And um, even before COVID, one of the things that I've always seen within uh, public sector innovation, especially around, uh, let's say, citizen services and even CX, is the idea that uh, consumer-driven in innovation is, I mean, supremely driving uh, public sector innovation. So I'll give you an example where um, you can go to Starbucks and you can mobile order a, uh, a chai vanilla latte if you want to, and you can pull right up and through that seamless experience, have your coffee within five minutes. And I think some would argue that government uh, interactions aren't nearly as seamless, but one of the things you touched on, and especially in light of COVID, is the idea of emotion. So um, what is your take and, and what are you seeing in terms of design for emotion, especially uh, in light of COVID? Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. Absolutely. So uh, to start with the first thing you mentioned about this comparison between the private sector and government. Uh, yeah, you know, people uh, bring the expectations from the private sector to their interactions with government. In fact, even uh, my colleagues who cover the private sector find this, that um, even in the private sector, a company isn't really in competition with other companies in its own industry around CX. It's in competition with the best experiences people have anywhere, because those are the expectations people bring to their current interaction. They say, well, this other company, company in this other sector or this other industry can provide this good an experience. Why can't you here in this sector or this industry provide an equally good experience? So, you know, experience crosses those sort of sector and, and industry boundaries. And of course, because of that, customer expectations are always rising because the best experiences out there are always getting better. Now, uh, sometimes people will say things like customer expectations are skyrocketing, and they're not. Our data shows that customer expectations are rising, but they're not skyrocketing, but they are constantly moving upward. And uh, we also know, of course, that, that um, uh, government organizations or, geez, around the world are working hard to improve the quality of their experience. The problem is that they're improving the quality of the experience at the same rate at which expectations are rising. It's sort of a race between two turtles. And so the expectations turtle is stepping forward and the CX turtle is stepping forward. And so they're just, they continue neck and neck. And so in effect, there's been no improvement in the quality of the experience. What government organizations have to do is they have to improve CX quality at a rate faster than the rate at which customer expectations are rising. That's how you improve the quality of the experience. And in, in the world of, of COVID, uh, that becomes especially important around digital uh, because our data shows that, unfortunately, the digital experience is the weakest kind of government customer experience. And th this is the case despite the fact that for years now, nearly all of the focus that government has put on CX has been on digital CX. Alas, it remains weaker than face-to-face uh, -face channels, than other non-face-to-face person-to-person channels, weaker than postal mail, uh, all of that um, in government. And, and the, uh, the problem is, uh, well, there's really two problems. The biggest hurdle, I think, to getting digital right in government 
uh, is that government is very uncomfortable with thinking about emotion in the quality of the experience. When, when we think about uh, uh, CX, we think about it in terms of three dimensions, what we call the three E's of CX, emotion, effectiveness, and ease. And those last two are pretty easy. Effectiveness, right, of experience, well, people have to be able to do what they're trying to do. And ease, it can't be difficult for them to do what they're trying to do. But it's that first one, emotion. Uh, governments are, um, are really uncomfortable considering emotion. So when governments talk about CX, especially digital, they always talk about making it simpler, making it faster, making it more efficient, making it easier. And those are good goals. But you can have the easiest, most effective experience in the world, digital or otherwise. And it's not going to be great unless it leaves people feeling the way they need to feel. And, you know, sometimes the government people say, uh, oh, well, you know, we're, we're a government. We're not Disney World. We're not going to delight them or bring them joy or whatever. Well, that, just, that isn't necessarily the emotion you need to be going for. You know, so you've got, you've got Disney World and you've got a, a TSA airport checkpoint. Great. Uh, one of them, you want childlike joy and wonder. The other one, you want to feel safe. You want to feel confident. You want to feel respected. When I walk through a TSA checkpoint, I don't want to feel childlike wonder, but I do want to feel safe. I want to feel respected. I want to feel confident. It's about positive emotions, whichever positive emotion uh, your experience needs to incite. And maybe those are different from some other experience, digital as well as in physical. And, and that's, um, like I say, unfortunately, uh, governments are just uncomfortable thinking about the importance of emotion in experiences, even more so in digital uh, experiences, I think probably because uh, traditionally digital design is entirely about efficiency, reduce pages, reduce clicks, and all of that. And in the process, you leach all the emotion out of the experience uh, and you leave people cold. And that's not a good, um, that's not a good experience. So I think that's, you know, uh, um, no matter what your organization's mission is, your customers are human. And they're human even when they're interacting on a digital channel. And so emotion remains the primary thing. And there's one sure. other hurdle. Yeah, there's one other hurdle that's really important for, um, for getting digital right. And that's uh, the clarity of communications. Uh, clear communications is a key driver for CX quality in government. In fact, it has an extraordinarily high correlation with the emotion of trust. Clear communication is nearly synonymous with trust. And that's one of, that, well, that emotion is so important, it's on page one of the president's management agenda, and page two, and most other pages. Uh, unfortunately, well, you know, government is not great at clear communication. Some, some places are better than others, yes. Um, but, you know, in, in, in the COVID world, uh, it becomes even more important because things that were clear two months ago might not be clear anymore because now people are stressed out. And when, pe and when you're stressed, it's more difficult to focus, which means that, that communication that people rated as clear a few months ago, they might not rate as clear today because they might not be able to focus quite as well because they got the stress, they got the kids running around because the kids aren't in school because of whatever. And so, you know, even if your, your digital experiences uh, were scoring pretty well on clear communications a few months ago, go back and take another look. They might not be now. 
you know, I find government organizations, they fall into these habits of, um, uh, well, first of all, of communicating backward. Um, uh, if you think sort of at the big picture level, uh, government organizations like to start by listing their authorities, you know, because of this law and that law and this law and that law and this regulation, then all the way down at the bottom of the screen, we're allowed to tell you to do this thing that we want you to do. People don't care about your authorities. They trust you. That, well, they don't necessarily trust you, but my point is they, um, they believe that you can tell them to do whatever it is you're telling them to do. Tell them at the top. And then, you know, use progressive disclosure. Let them click somewhere to find out what laws allow you to tell them to do that if, you know, if they want to. Right? So this is backwards in this way. Start by telling them what you want them to do, not why you can tell them to do it. And then even at the tactical level, even at the sentence level, you know, no sentence should ever begin with the words pursuant to, uh, right? That, or, or, you know, insofar as. Not, not common uh, language used every day, huh? Exactly, right? And, and you know, you've got to put the, the, what you want people to do or the information they need in clear, simple sentences right at the top. And like I said, take a, take a look again at, at the clarity of your digital communication because with people being stressed, uh, what was clear a few months ago might not be clear anymore. That I was think the that's short a great answer, point. by the way. No, and I, I think that's a great point. And in the news lately, I've seen a number of states struggle with their unemployment sites and not just the inundation of submissions uh, and the servers not being able to hold, but just the antiquated CX on them. And I can't think of a better use case where emotion really comes into play than if somebody's just lost their job in this situation and they need to go file unemployment, uh, that's, that's got to be one of the things that is woven into the fabric of that platform. But I would love to get a take from you. And I mentioned uh, it, when I introduced you that uh, you do work with companies and you work with governments on this. Have you seen any uh, really great um, examples of not just emotion, but great CX um, in use today? Well, great digital CX. Um, you know, if you think about great digital CX, um, uh, some of the best uh, digital experiences in the U.S. today uh, come with uh, some uh, banking and investment companies, uh, the websites and mobile apps that really incite, um, really invoke uh, emotions like confidence, trust, happiness, Yes, occasionally joy, if, that, if that's the one that matters for your organization, uh, that sort of thing. These are, um, these are companies like Navy Federal Credit Union, uh, USAA, Vanguard, uh, et cetera. Um, you know, the, some of those real top, you know, um, top financial services companies that um, now they tend to provide a top-notch customer experience on, on whatever channel. Uh, but since we're talking about digital here, I'll, I'll call it in particular their websites mobile apps, uh, things like that. Um, in fact, we did a, um, we did a, uh, a review of top U.S. government websites, uh, oh, a couple of months ago. And uh, one of the things we found was, was that um, we, you know, we, we looked at oh, six, or seven, uh, six or seven of the most visited websites, and we found that um, most of them were, were mediocre, uh, not great, but that you know, some of them uh, some of them, like say the National Park Service, uh, for instance, were um, you know were were 
we're up there, you know, with, with, with the financial services industry, but certainly not up there with the USAAs and the Navy Federal Credit Unions uh, and things like that. Um, you, know, you know, so that I don't want to, I don't want to leave people thinking that, you know, all government digital experiences out there are, are dreadful, but, uh, you know, a uh, website for the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs, website for the Social Security Administration, um, you know, these are, these are, these are solid digital experiences uh, that can go toe to toe with, you know, with a, with a pretty good private sector uh, digital experience. Uh, I, I think that the, the thing to remember here, though, is that, um, you know, with the exception of those, those couple of companies that I mentioned, uh, the private sector isn't super great at this all the time either. <laughs> so, you know, they need to be getting better at this and they're working hard to get better at this. No, I think that's a good point because there are some situations uh, that I've seen where the private sector could probably learn a few things from the public sector. And that's not generally how we think about things. It's usually the reverse. Um, but uh, yep. those websites you mentioned, Social Security Administration, um, what are some of the attributes about those sites that are making them a best-in-class type of experience? Uh, sure. So um, oh, there's, a, there's a few things that they um, – uh, that they do pretty well. So, for instance, the um, uh, Department of Veterans Affairs website has um, really good uh, uh, functionality. You know, they um, they do a lot of best practices on audio content, uh, also providing visual progress cues of kind of where you are in the process of whatever it is you're trying to do. Um, they really really nice visual uh, progress cues. Also good on uh, auto population. Um, you know, uh, populating fields with data that they already have about you so that you don't have to enter it again. Uh, this, you know, by the way, this is one of those things where um, it's easy to think about this as being about ease, if that makes sense. Remember, I mentioned those three dimensions of CX, those three E's, emotion, effectiveness, and ease. When I talk about something like auto-populating uh, uh, fields and, and things like that in, in form, uh, yeah, it's about making it easier, but it's primarily about things like confidence. Uh, and, and, and trust and avoiding things like frustration because, you know, uh, if you ask somebody to give you information that they know they've already given you, that hits trust. That hits confidence. You know, wait a minute. Do they not have it anymore? Did they forget about it? <laughs> What's going on here? And then you add the frustration, et cetera. So um, uh, things like, you know, uh, like I say, progress cues, auto population that are especially get on the Veterans Affairs website. This speaks to emotion even more than it speaks to some of the other things. Uh, also, um, oh, it'll tell you how long uh, a process is going to take before you get started on it. Uh, things like this, you know, a bunch of little things to say nothing about uh, um, the quite clear, quite user-friendly language. Um, uh, this again, speaking about the, uh, uh, the Veterans Affairs website. Uh, Social Security Administration website, uh, um, clear navigation, really, really nice clarity of language um, is also a, a friendly language, you know, for some topics that um, are emotionally fraught, um, you know, might leave people, people are coming to that website maybe feeling frustrated, feeling anxious. Um, the whole design is, uh, is rather soothing, rather friendly, uh, sets a lot of expectations, okay, here's what's going to happen next. Uh, you know, here's how long things are going to take, that sort of stuff. And so it's a uh, um, uh, nice clarity of navigation, nice clarity of language that we don't, um, we don't often see uh, in, um, in government websites. And, you know, it's, it's, 
it's funny that, that uh, sometimes, you know, uh, government organizations attempt to be clear and be um, simple, et cetera, can actually go kind of awry uh, if they're not thinking about it uh, from an emotional aspect. Uh, so, for instance, uh, say the, um, the IRS website, um, uh, <laughs> which is pretty funny. The, Nothing the, emotional the, about that, huh? Anybody, <laughs> exactly. Well, there's one thing in particular on it that jumps out at me as we're, as we're talking about you know, websites, U.S. federal websites in particular, uh, which is that uh, there's some language on that website that I think will be very familiar to anybody who's been in or around government a lot. It's uh, when you go to the, uh, when you click on some part of the website, it says, you know, uh, uh, this system is for authorized use only. There's no right to privacy in this system. I've, I've seen a message like that thousands of times. You probably have, a lot of your listeners probably have. But when we did this review, uh, um, some of our, uh, some of the user testers that we um, uh, that we used for this were really taken aback, and, and they were they were frightened, they were worried. They made comments like, "You know, I wasn't even sure. Am I authorized? Am I supposed to be here? What's going on? Um, what do they need a right to privacy? Are they looking at me now through my camera? Uh, <laughs> things like things things that to to us uh, on this, you know, uh, uh, you know, talking now might might seem. Um, uh, might seem a little odd. Uh, after all, it's just stating a couple of facts. It is, in fact, for authorized use only. It is, you know, there is, in fact, no right to privacy on this system. Uh, but but um, in an attempt to be clear and simple, uh, they forgot about emotion, uh, and they ended up scaring <laughs> several people um, in our user testing panel. I'd love to touch a little bit now on uh, what this post-COVID world could look like. And there's still there's still companies out there hiring. There's still uh, government roles that are being uh, recruited for and being onboarded and hiring. And that's not often something that you would think of government organizations doing in a virtual setting. And I would imagine there's got to be a lot of reevaluation on what the government thinks can and can't be digital. So what are you mm -hmm. seeing from that point of view? Absolutely. Uh, there's been, been some really positive signs. For instance, I was really gratified to read last week, maybe the week before last now, uh, that um, the Office of Personnel Management and Department of Homeland Security uh, have agreed that, uh, at least temporarily, uh, the U.S. federal government can onboard new employees remotely. Uh, so, for instance, the rule was uh, you had to do it in person because there was some uh, document signing that had to occur in person and that you had to review um, new hires' uh, identification documents in person. But now OPM and DHS are saying, no, you can review the documents by um, uh, video chat and uh, we can, we'll let them print out the, docu you know, the, the contracts and stuff at home and sign them and mail them in. Okay, not, not ideal. You hope for some electronic signatures there at some point. But, hey, that's a, that's a big step from, nope, got to do it in person, no flexibility. It's basically uh, a complete so, 180. It's totally. I, I, was, I was, like I said, I was really gratified to, to, to read that, that level of flexibility. And, you know, that, that's something that we're seeing more and more of in the private sector as well, um, legal departments, security and risk departments, compliance offices, you know, that, that a couple of months ago, 
you know, we're saying, nope, can't do this, can't do that, got to be in person, got to be face-to-face. All of a sudden, we're discovering that, hey, guess what? Uh, turns, out, turns out we can do this digitally. Um, and uh, in, in, in one, to one degree, that makes sense. Uh, you know, these, uh, these offices' responsibility is to protect their organizations from legal risk, uh, you know, to, to have um, uh, conservative interpretations of regulations and such, you know, to protect the organizations. That, yes, that makes sense. Um, uh, but at the same time, um, the speed with which a lot of these turnarounds have occurred, uh, it, you know, certainly, certainly highlights the fact that, that we could have been doing a lot of things digitally all along. And, you know, part of that, honestly, um, part of the fault for that lies with customer experience uh, professionals who, uh, and I hear this all the time, I hear it in government, I hear it in the private sector too, uh, they say, we took this idea that, you know, we planned all out, we took whatever it is, we took this thing to uh, the legal team or the security folks, and they said no. So we threw it in the trash and we thought, oh, well, it's nothing we can do here. We, what you've got to realize is that when the legal people or the security people say no, that's the start of the conversation. That's their opening offer. <laughs> right? That's not the end of the conversation. That's the beginning. And too many CX professionals um, think that's the end of the conversation. And so they just, they just go back to their office and they figure there's nothing you can do. What you've got to really do is, you know, if you're, if you're working on some new digital initiative, something like onboarding new employees or something digital with customers or whatever, um, uh, bring those folks, bring the folks from legal, you know, from security and such, bring them into the research and the design process early. That way they can understand um, the negative impact, uh, you know, that you're trying to overcome on customers or on employees and the, the negative role uh, or the positive role that security and legal, et cetera, can have in this process. And they're going to understand, you know, what you're trying to do and why it's so important. Um, and they're going to be able to factor that in when they think about risk because there's a risk, there may be a risk to doing something, but there's always a risk to not doing something. And you're going to help them think about that more too. And you're also going to understand, help them understand a lot of the implications, where things fit in. You know, so you've really got to bring them into that customer research process, that human-centric design process, those, that um, you, you know, they can help you iterate on, on, um, on designs and test them, et cetera, et cetera. Make them part of the process. Don't, don't bake something and then bring it to them and say, you know, do you like it? And they say no, and it goes in the trash. I think that's a really good point. And as a marketer, some of the best relationships I developed within an organization have been with the engineering or the product management team, because I wanted to get at the ground floor of whatever product release or initiative we were doing. So I had a better understanding of it. And I've, I think necessity is obviously driving a lot of this change and the government's got to be feeling a little bit of pressure uh, to move quickly especially as yeah. things like stimulus checks are, are being pushed out. And uh, like I mentioned, unemployment submissions are happening. But what are some of the risks mm-hmm. to that? If the government's trying to move a little bit faster, then maybe either their infrastructure can support or perhaps their processes can support. What is some of the risk of mm-hmm. that? Technically, you know, your, your infrastructure uh, can, uh, can support what you're trying to do. Um, 
a lot of government organizations are having to either radically expand current projects or programs or create entirely new ones uh, uh, to, you know, as part as part of this uh, uh, stimulus package. And by the way, you know, if your if your government organization hasn't had to yet, well, it may still have to because you know the CARES Act is not is not the last word on on stimulus. There's going to be there's going to be more things happening. And so you know, even if even if your digital infrastructure can handle this stuff, um, the 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 trick is to make sure that you're remembering to use. Uh, human-centric design processes to either uh, expand what it is you're already doing or to do something new. Uh, I, I get so worried when I hear people say, you know, in effect, we need to move fast. There's no time to think. Oh, no. <laughs> um, I remember, who was it Who was it who said, maybe Einstein, maybe Churchill, you know, it's usually one, one of the two, um, who said, you know, if I had an hour to write an essay, I would spend the first 55 minutes planning it. Uh, and and I always I always like that um, because it's well it's just so true you know um, uh, even just personally I'm the sort of person who by nature uh, give me a job and I'll start doing it and then halfway through um, I'll then my brain will kick in and I'll start thinking about it and I realize I've been going in the wrong direction the whole time <laughs> I don't have to back up and it creates twice the work uh, I know that about myself and you know oh well and now you all know it about me too but. Uh, uh, what you've got to do here is, is you've got to make sure to use those standard, iterative, human-centric design practices because they don't take long. You know, sometimes people think, oh, they take months or they take weeks. They don't. They take hours, mere, you know, mere hours, a couple of days maybe, in order to take, take a minute and run through a human-centric design process of, of of uh, uh, understanding customers' needs from their perspective, from the outside in, uh, uh, understanding what they need uh, as far as a solution goes, uh, prototyping, testing, iterating, zeroing in on a solution, the, the sort of stuff that, that is essential to make sure that whatever it is you do end up producing, uh, digitally or otherwise, goes more smoothly. You know, all the downstream parts of the design process go more smoothly if you start with that iterative human-centric process, plus whatever it is you end up producing is going to work way better. And when it works way better, it's going to be more successful. And, of course, that means, uh, uh, you know, no negative media cycles, no embarrassment, but it also means a more effective stimulus program because whatever, it, whatever digital thing you just had to do is working better. You know, no more healthcare.gov debacles. Let's not have any more of those. Uh, you know, let's, 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 let's follow good human-centric design processes that, that at the beginning, there might be some nervous foot tapping. Why are we spending time thinking about customers? Why are we spending time iterating on this? We need to launch something. But you're going to launch something just fine. And when it happens, it's going to be a lot better. And it's going to be more successful. And that's, you know, that's important to both the short-term and the long-term success, you know, of, the, of your organization. There's a real danger there of skipping all that. Please don't. Rick, Rick, I really appreciate you being on the show today. And you have definitely opened my eyes to some new concepts like designing for emotion, which I think the audience being a group of marketers should certainly think about as they build out their campaigns and 
understand how we as humans are going to receive them and interact with them. But as we wrap up the show, do you have any closing thoughts you want to leave them with? Anytime you ask me to talk more, I'll be happy to do just that. Uh, <laughs> Government CX has lagged the private sector since we started tracking it. And government digital CX has lagged all other kinds of government CX since we started tracking it. It doesn't have to. There's, there's, I see, I hear a lot of excuses. I hear excuses about budget. I hear excuses about regulatory issues. Um, I hear excuses about unions. I hear lots of excuses. And every excuse I hear, I can point to more than one industry in the private sector to more than one company in the private sector that has the same issues and the same hurdles uh, that government has, and yet they've overcome them. Uh, please take a minute. You know, if you're, if, you're, if you're saying to yourself, oh, it can't be done, oh, we can't follow a human-centric design process, um, oh, we can't think about emotion, oh, we can't get emotion right, um, I urge you to, to, or if you're hearing it from someone else, to take a step back and, and really examine your assumptions there. You know, why do you think uh, that's the case? My guess is, based on, on just a lot of conversations with a lot of people, is that it tends just to come down to organizational culture. There's a, you know, we've always done it this way, or we've never done it that way, or we've made a lot of assumptions along the way that have, that have kind of ossified uh, without us knowing, uh, without us noticing. And uh, uh, cultural objections um, are a lot easier to overcome, honestly, once you, once you recognize that that's what they are, um, uh, you know, than, than anything that's actually printed in black and white. So um, I urge people to, to check some of those assumptions about why things can't be done. In my experience, uh, it's not about budgets, not about regulations, et cetera, et cetera. It's usually just about assumptions that have gotten baked into the culture over the years that can easily get baked out. I can't think of a better way to end the show than on that. So thanks, Rick. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode with Rick Parrish from Forrester. This has been the Government Huddle Podcast with Brian Chidester. Be sure to check out other episodes at gmarku.com or at Apple and Google Podcasts. And feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn or Twitter at ChittisterAB. To everyone listening, stay safe and socially distanced. Bye for now. Government Marketing University's Gain 2020 Conference is where you need to be on Wednesday, November 4th as we spend the day learning and networking. Our agenda is forward-thinking, relevant, and highly interactive. We'll also announce our Gain Awards to highlight the creative work of government marketers. This event is cutting-edge, focusing on the hot topics that all government marketers are dealing with. You will leave with relevant knowledge to enhance and accelerate your government marketing planning. Plus, all attendees will receive training certifications. Register today at gmarku.com. See you there.